I'm Jonathan Mosin and this is Mosin at Large, the show that's got the blind community talking. This week, Apple delights the blind community as eloquence comes to iOS. Humanware speaks out on Android's lack of Braille head implementation. And to capital B or not to capital B? Mosin at Large Podcast. Have you had a good week? Are you happy? Well, as I put this podcast together, we're in the middle of thunderstorms, we've got rain pelting down outside the studio, but nothing, nothing can dampen my mood. All the way back in episode two of this podcast, back in 2019, we did a feature on what psychologists call flashbulb moments. Flashback. No, no, not flashback, flashbulb moments. Some of them can be happy, some of them can be sad. Many of us remember where we were when certain things happen in the news that are of consequence, like political assassinations or the death of somebody in music that we particularly admire. But they can be happy things, like the birth of children, that kind of thing. Well, for me... I had a flashbulb moment this week. Flashback. No, no, will you, will you stop that? When I installed iOS 16 Developer Beta 1 on my test iPhone, to find to my surprise, and I was never, ever picking this, I dreamed about it, but I was never picking it, that Eloquence was available to voiceover users. It's fantastic! Yes, I know. As you can tell, the Mosin at Large Intrepid team has been reaching out to the world for comment about this amazing development. Boris Johnson, he's had a busy week, but still, what do you think, Boris? Yes, you could have another party and celebrate this, I'm sure. It's worthy. But I think, as is often the case, former President Barack Obama put it so well, so eloquently, if I may use the expression, when he said... They said this day would never come. (laughs) They said... Our sights were set too high. Yes, they said all those things, and yet here we are with eloquence in the first developer build of iOS 16. And it is a stunning act of customer responsiveness specifically to the blind community. Only the blind community wants eloquence, so we can be efficient and productive with our screen readers. And there are some who evaluate what constitutes a good text-to-speech engine differently. Some people want more natural, human-sounding voices, and that's an absolutely valid way to feel. But there are some of us who believe that eloquence stands out there alone, unique in its excellence, because of how intelligible it is at fast speeds. Because most of the time, not all, but most of the time, if it mispronounces something, it's a typo. It reads very naturally, the inflection is natural, it handles exclamation marks well most of the time. So there are many valid reasons why Eloquence's arrival, or if you're not running this crazy beta, imminent arrival, is being so widely celebrated in the blind community. Companies are made up of human beings, fallible human beings, and that makes companies fallible. So sometimes a company will get things wrong. Sometimes Apple gets things wrong. But because companies are made up of human beings, I think that it's important when Apple gets something as right as they have done in this instance to unequivocally, unambiguously say, good stuff. No ifs, no buts, the bugs, all those other things, they'll keep for another day. But putting eloquence in iOS 16 is just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I want to congratulate and thank Apple 
everybody involved, because these things don't magic themselves into the code. People have been spending time doing this, responding to the numerous requests for an oft-asked-for feature for blind people. To everybody who's coded it, who continues to test it, because there are one or two little glitches at this early stage of the cycle, and we would expect this, you hit it out of the park, well done, unreservedly, well done. In fact, I was so moved by this development that I was even inspired to write a little blessing, which I wish to bestow on everybody involved in the coding, the testing, the product management decisions that led to this epicness. I'll do it for you now. May the sun always shine on your Cupertino home. May your code always compile the first time. May your upward mobility in the apple orchard be swift so you have a shortcut to the top of your field. May you receive all the face time with Tim that your heart desires, be that more or less of it. May your apple wallet never be empty. May your ongoing screen time continue to be time that adds value for humanity. May the green tea that powers your focus be so rich in antioxidants that your brain works faster than an M3 chip. Go well with our blessing and thanks. There are many new English voices in iOS 16. I've got Eloquence set as my default voice, and we'll take a look at some of these in just a moment. But before we go there, let me talk a little bit about the state of the beta cycle at the moment, because the moment that word started to spread that Eloquence was in iOS 16, I can't tell you how many emails and messages I've had from people wanting to find out about first how to get this, and second, what the consequences are. People will have different levels of tolerance for beta code, but I have to say that this is a developer beta one. It's not even a public beta at this point. We're expecting the first public beta to come in July with developer beta three. So what we should expect is that when developer beta three comes out or being well, there'll be a day or two worth of gap, and then you will get public beta one. It is very easy to enroll for free in the public beta program. I have the developer build on a test iPhone at the moment. It's an iPhone 11. And I don't think that I would recommend putting it on a phone that you depend on particularly for work purposes. If you're not employed and you're at home most of the time, you don't tend to use your iPhone to get you out of any safety situations, like maybe you need to call an Uber or something like that. Well, you might consider it, but even then, it is buggy code. That's what developer betas are all about at this early stage. So there are no guarantees about anything. And you would want to be the kind of person who knows how to get out of a buggy situation. Or you may find yourself in a situation where the phone just stops working completely and nobody wants their phone to stop working completely. So it's not for me to tell you what to do, of course. But if it were me, if I didn't have a test machine, I would just wait. I know that people are very enthusiastic about eloquence. It will come. And when it does, people will have beaten up on the code to the extent that it's a lot more stable than it is now. I'm not going to talk about the instabilities because I don't think that's particularly fair. It is beta code. We expect bugs at this point in the process. If you've got your heart set on doing this, on installing the developer beta one, what I would say to you is I wouldn't dream of installing it on a device that you use for day-to-day things without first connecting your phone to your computer. 
be it a PC running iTunes or a Mac running macOS, and performing a full encrypted backup so that if you really need to get out of the bind that could be iOS 16 for you, you'll be able to go and do a full system restore, take the operating system back to iOS 15, and then restore from that encrypted backup. Keep in mind, I doubt that Apple will help you to do this. It's not a recommended process. I'm not even sure if it's a supported process, but it does work. I've done it in the past, and I'm pretty sure that it still does work. But it's time-consuming, it's frustrating, so do take those precautions. If you don't have a test system and nothing anyone can say is going to stop you from <laughs> installing this thing, then do at least please do that encrypted backup because an iCloud backup is not going to work the same way. An iCloud backup is not going to let you regress back to iOS 15 if you absolutely have to. If you know what you're doing, if you have a test machine and you want to play, then why not? One of the things that I've been heartened by as I've been using the beta code on my test device is that there have been one or two situations where something has gone pretty wrong and a little dialogue at screen has popped up that has allowed me to report that situation to Apple. What's happened is that Apple has recognized that there's a problem and it is taking data, it is taking logs and sending that off for you if you agree. And when you go through that process, you are able to tell Apple what you were doing to cause this bug. So this is really good because sometimes things happen during a beta cycle and you can't duplicate them on demand. But if the code is sensitive enough to detect that and say, hey, we see a problem here. Is it all right if we gather information and send this off to developers? Then that is good news. And of course, then the test will be how overwhelmed is Apple going to be with this data? Can it actually act on the data that it's getting, particularly in the context of voiceover? But that's a very positive move. So hang in there and let's just see what public beta one is like in terms of bugginess. Right now, it is a little bit rough around the edges depending on what you're doing. With that said, let us take a look at some of the voices in iOS 16 and how you peruse them. And we'll also talk a little bit about eloquence and the scope of the feature. I have eloquence running at about 60% on the rotor as I do this demonstration. Now, if I were doing this in JAWS, I would equate this to about maybe 25 to 30%. And this is something that people have already commented on right now. You can't speed up eloquence quite as fast as some people might like to do. Let me show you how much flexibility there is here. My rotor is set to speaking rate, and if I flick up... 65%, Now that is as fast as it goes right now. So if I flick right... Let's see how slow it goes. So we'll go back to the speech rotor. And now go down... That's how slow it goes. 0% IRA. ASB Mobile. Let's get back to 60%, and I think that's about a sweet spot for demonstrating this further. 
characters, words, speaking rate, It is nice and responsive, this thing. It just feels so good to be using Eloquence. And this is on an iPhone 11, so it may even be faster on newer devices. But of course, the thing is that Eloquence doesn't take up a lot of system resources. Let's go now and ask our friend Siri, who, as far as I can tell, is largely the same on iOS 16 at this point. Open voiceover settings. And we'll flick right. Voiceover. Heading. Voiceover. On. Voiceover speaks items on the screen. Tap once to select an item. Double tap to activate the selected item. Learn more. Voiceover practice. Button. Speaking rate. 60%. Speech. Button. And I'll double tap speech. Voice. Eddie. I'm going to be spending a lot of time on the screen once I double tap it because we can choose our voice from here. This is the primary voice, but it is important to note that you can add languages to the rotor. So, for example, if you're in the United States and you have one of the Eloquence voices as your primary voice, you can add a second U.S. voice by adding the U.S. language to the rotor. So you can get quite a few voices available to you just through the rotor. And of course, you can come back here and change voices as often as you like. So I'll double tap. English, Australia, heading. And we've got a list of voices here. I'll go through them because there are quite a few new voices for all dialects, including some novelty voices, which some people are very excited about. And there are some new vocalizer voices, as well as new versions of vocalizer voices. I'll flick right. Karen, button. And here's our old friend, Karen. Now, if I double tap here. English, Australia, heading. I'll flick right. Karen, default, actions available. That's the default voice. You'll hear that there are actions available. We'll come back to those in just a moment. Karen, enhanced, using 147.1 MB, actions available. Karen, premium, using 211.9 MB. Actions available. With some of these vocalizer voices, you can now get the enhanced and the premium versions of them. I'll flick left. Karen, enhanced, using 147.1 MB. Karen, default, actions available. If you want to, you can preview all of these voices without necessarily having to download them to hear what the differences are. I'll flick down. Speak sample. And here is the speak sample button. To make these samples easier to hear, I've disabled audio ducking because when I double tap, there's a click and that causes the system audio to fade down. This maybe could be something that Apple will address in time for release. But in the meantime, audio ducking is turned off, so I'll double tap. Hello, my name is Karen. I am an Australian English voice. Now I'll flick right. Karen, enhanced, using 147.1 MB. Actions available. This is one of the voices that you would have to download, and I have done that, so I'll flick down. Speak sample. We also have... Activate the speak sample. So that's what we have right now. I'll double tap. Hello, my name is Karen. I am an Australian English voice. As you hear, the quality is a little better. If I flick right again... Karen, premium, using 211.9 MB. Actions available. This is a significantly larger voice. Delete. Speak sample. And that will speak sample. Hello. My name is Karen. I am an Australian English voice. A lot more inflection, sounding more natural. I'll go back to the previous screen by performing a two-finger scrub. English, Australia, heading. And flick right. Karen, button. Lee, button. Matilda, button. Matilda is one of the newer Australian voices. I'll double tap. English, Australia, heading. Download Matilda, default, 2.5 MB, button. Download Matilda, enhanced, 89.2 MB, button. 
Download Matilda Premium. 107 MB. Button. Actions available. I'll flick down. Speak sample. So you can speak the sample before you download. Hello. My name is Matilda. I am an Australian English voice. I'll go back to the previous screen. Matilda. Button. And flick right. Siri. Button. English India. Heading. Now we're going on to English India. Isha. Button. Rishi. Button. Sanjita. Button. Siri. Button. Vina. Button. A lot of new voices here because before in iOS 15, we only had Rishi and the Siri Indian voice. Let's have a quick listen. I'll go back to the previous heading. English India. Heading. And flick right. Isha. Button. We'll double tap. English India. Heading. And, and flick right. Download Isha. Default. 5.0 MB. Button. Download Isha. Enhanced. 280 MB. Button. Download Isha. Premium. 321 MB. Button. Let's have a listen to the premium version of this voice. Speak sample. Hello. My name is Isha. I am an Indian English voice. I'll go back to the previous screen. Isha. Button. And flick right. Rishi. Button. We've heard Rishi before in previous versions of iOS. Sanjita. Button. We'll double tap. English. India. Heading. Download Sanjita. Default. 5.0 MB. Button. Download Sanjita. Enhanced. 162 MB. Button. Download Sanjita. So there is no premium version of this voice. Speak sample. Hello. My name is Sanjita. I'm an Indian English voice. I'll go back. Sanjita. Button. Siri. Button. Vina. Button. Double tap. English. India. Heading. Download Vina. Default. 4.7 MB. Button. Download Vina. Enhanced. 49.5 MB. Button. Download Vina. And again, no premium version of this voice. Speak sample. Hello. My name is Vina. I am an Indian English voice. We'll go back. Vina. Button. English. Ireland. Heading. And let's have a look at Irish English voices. Mwara. Button. Siri. Button. English. Scotland. So there is no new Irish voice there. Those are the same as in iOS 15. But we do have a new category, and this is for Scottish English voices. These have not been available to iPhone before. Fiona. Button. Double tap. English. Scotland. Uck. Heading. Download Fiona. Default. 6.4 MB. Button. Download Fiona. Enhanced. 71.5 MB. Button. Download Fiona. And no premium here. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Fiona. I am a Scottish English voice. We'll go back. Fiona. Button. English. South Africa. Heading. So there's just Fiona in the Scottish category at this point. In English. South Africa. Siri. Button. Tessa. Button. English. Uck. Heading. So no new South African voices either. Now we're into the UK category. Daniel. Button. Eloquence. Button. Here is the first time that we encounter eloquence. This is in the UK section. I'll double tap. English. Uh, heading. And flick right. Eddie. Actions available. With eloquence, they've implemented it slightly differently because when you double tap a named voice elsewhere, you get various quality versions of the same voice. In this instance, with eloquence, you actually get to choose your different eloquence voices. The first is Eddie. If I flick down. Speak sample. We'll double tap. Hello. My name is Eddie. That's all you get? We'll flick right. Hello. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Flo. And just in case you're interested, all we have on the actions rotor at this point is... Activate. Activate. Speak sample. And speak sample. Grandma. Action. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Grandma. Grandpa. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Grandpa. Read. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Reed. 
Rocco. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Rocco. Sandy. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Sandy. Shelly. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Shelly. A bit crackly there. I'll go back. Eloquence. Button. Jamie. Button. And I'll double tap this. English. Uck. Heading. Download Jamie. Default. 6.6 MB. Button. Download Jamie. Enhanced. 110 MB. Button. Jamie. Premium. Using 163.7 MB. Actions available. I've already downloaded this while I was having a play earlier in the week. Delete. Speak sample. But we can still speak sample. Hello. My name is Malcolm. I am a British English voice. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's misnamed this voice. If I go back. Download Jamie. Enhanced. 110 MB. Speak sample. Hello. My name is Malcolm. I am a British English voice. I don't know why it's mislabeled there, but that's what you have. You have the Malcolm voice when you come in here. Jamie. I'm sure that that will be resolved. This is a very early beta, so we cut them lots of slack. Kate. Button. Kate has been available in previous versions of iOS. Oliver. Button. So has Oliver. Serena. Button. And so has Serena. Siri. Button. Stephanie. Button. Stephanie is new to iOS. I'll double tap. English. Uck. Heading. And flick right. Download Stephanie. Default. 11.7 MB. Button. Stephanie. Enhanced. Using 212.4 MB. Actions available. Stephanie. And only an enhanced version of Stephanie. Delete. Speak sample. Hello. My name is Stephanie. I am a British English voice. We'll go back. Stephanie. Button. English. Us. Heading. Now we're on to US English. Agnes. Button. Here's Agnes. Let's have a listen. English. Us. Heading. Agnes. Using 1.6 MB. Actions available. So as you can immediately hear, this is going to be a lower quality, low profile voice. Delete. Speak sample. Isn't it nice to have a computer that will talk to you? Oh, it is, mate. It so is. We'll go back. Agnes. Button. And flick right. Alex. Button. Quite a contrast from Agnes to Alex. We're all familiar with the Alex voice. Alison. Button. Ava. Button. Bruce. Button. G'day, Bruce. Here's a new voice for iOS. We'll double tap. English. Us. And flick right. Bruce. Using 1.8 MB. Actions available. Again, we can tell this is going to be a lower quality voice because of the size on disk that it occupies. Delete. Speak sample. I sure like being inside this fancy computer. Nice to know of someone who's happy in their work. We'll go back. Bruce. Button. And flick right. Selected. Eloquence. Eddie. Button. Let's double tap and have a listen to the US eloquence voices. It is selected, as you can hear. English. Us. Heading. I'll flick right. Selected. Eddie. Actions available. Let's listen to the sample. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Eddie. Flo. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Flo. Grandma. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Grandma. Grandpa. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Grandpa. Reed. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Reed. Rocco. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Rocco. Sandy. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Sandy. Shelly. Actions available. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Shelly. So there are your eloquence voices. Amazing. Every time I come across this, I just stop and I think, wow, I cannot believe that this is here. We'll go back. Selected. Eloquence. Eddie. Button. Evan. Button. And we'll double tap Evan. English. Us. Heading. Download Evan. Default. 5.9 MB. Button. Evan. Enhanced. Using 290.9 MB. 
Actions available. There is no premium version of Evan, so we'll play the sample. Delete. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Evan. I am an American English voice. That's quite a nice one, isn't it? We'll go back. Evan. Button. Fred. Button. And we're all familiar with Fred. Joel. Button. We'll double tap. English. Us. Joel. Enhanced. Using 143.2MB. Actions available. Joel. Enhanced. And we'll play the sample. Delete. Speak sample. Hello. My name is Joel. I am an American English voice. We'll go back. Joel. Button. Junior. Button. English. Us. Heading. Junior. Actions available. That's all there is on the screen, so I'll flick down. Speak sample. My favorite food is pizza. Oh, mate, the carbs, the carbs. We'll go back. Junior. Button. Kathy. Button. Double tap. English. Us. Kathy. Speak sample. Isn't it nice to have a computer that will talk to you? Kathy. Button. Nathan. Button. Many of these new vocalizer voices have been available in JAWS for a long time, but you may not be familiar with them, and that's why I'm giving you a quick listen. We'll double tap on Nathan, which is quite a popular voice. English. Us. Heading. Download Nathan. Default. 10.9 MB. Button. Download Nathan. Enhanced. 116 MB. Button. Download Nathan. I thought there might be a premium version of Nathan, but there isn't. Speak sample. Hello. My name is Nathan. I am an American English voice. We'll go back. Nathan. Button. Nikki. Button. Noel. Button. Let's have a listen to that. English. Us. Heading. Noel. Enhanced. Using 146 MB. Actions of Noel. Delete. Speak sample. Hello. My name is Noel. I am an American English voice. We'll go back. Noel. Button. Ralph. Button. English. Us. Ralph. Actions available. Speak sample. The sum of the squares of the legs of a right triangle is equal to the square of the hypotenuse. See, that's news you can use right there. We'll go back. Ralph. Button. Samantha. Button. We're all familiar with Samantha. Siri. Button. Susan. Button. Tom. Button. Vicky. Button. Now, don't confuse Vicky with Victoria. They are actually two different things, or, or people, or voices, or something. Vicky is new, and Victoria is still there. So let's double tap Vicky. English, us, heading, Vicky, using 29.3 MB, actions available. Vicky, delete, speak sample. Hello, my name is Vicky. Go back to the previous screen. Vicky, button, Victoria, button, Zoe, button. And here is Zoe. I have to say, this Zoe vocalizer voice, if you're into natural sounding speech, it is excellent. Let's double tap. English, us, heading, download Zoe, default, 9.6 MB. Button. Let's listen Actions to all the available. variants of this voice because I really think it's going to be popular on the iPhone. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Zoe. I am an American English voice. Download Zoe enhanced 269 MB. Button. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Zoe. I am an American English voice. Zoe premium using 513.3 MB. Actions available. This is quite a big voice, actually. About half a gig. Delete. Speak sample. Hello, my name is Zoe. I am an American English voice. That's pretty good. It's pleasant to listen to. We'll go back. Zoe, button, novelty, heading. Now we've got a bunch of novelty voices, and I will flick through these and play the samples without further comment so you can hear what they are like. But the one comment I will make before I start this process is that if you have a hearing impairment 
or maybe your speech rate has just set too high or something's happened, I can see that this could possibly create a few tech support nightmares if you've inadvertently selected a voice that is so strange that you are having difficulty hearing it to reset your voice to something else. And so what I would like to see here, I don't want these voices taken away because they're fun, but if we could have at the bottom of the screen a button that you press that resets it to some known state, and probably that state would be the voice that is the default voice for the region that you choose. So in the United States, it would be Samantha. In Australia and New Zealand, it would be Karen, etc. If you could just have that button reset to default to the bottom of the screen, it might avoid quite a lot of tech support snafus for Apple. But that's not raining on their parade. <laughs> just a constructive suggestion. Let's go through some of these voices. Albert, button. English, us. Head, Albert. Speak sample. I have a frog in my throat. No, I mean a real frog. Albert, button. Bad news, button. English, us. Bad news. Act, speak sample. The light you see at the end of the tunnel is the headlamp of a fast approaching train. <laughs> That's just really funny. All right. Bad news. I told but- you I wasn't going to comment. Ah, button. English, us. Head, ah. Action, speak sample. Do not pull the wall over my eyes. Ah, button. Bells, button. English, us, bells, speak sample. Time flies when you're having fun. Bells, button, boing, button. English, us, boing, speak sample. Spring has sprung, fall has fell, winter's here and it's colder than usual. Boing, button, bubbles, button. English, us, bubbles, speak sample. Bubbles, but cellos, button, selected, English, us, cellos, a sneak sample. <laughs> cellos, good news, button, selected, English, us, good news, sneak sample. Congratulations, you just won the sweepstakes, but you don't have to pay income tax again. <laughs> Good news, Jester, button, selected, English, us, Jester, speak sample. Please stop Jester, but you, if you said that voice, by the way, it is just really quite hilarious what happens when you try to navigate your screen with that voice on. Superstar, button, English, us, superstar, speak sample. When I grow up, I'm going to be a scientist. Superstar, Trinoids, button, selected, English, us, Trinoids, speak sample. We cannot communicate with these carbonates. Trinoids, whisper, button. Selected. English. Whisper. Speak sample. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Who do you think I'm talking to? The mouse. Whisper. Wobble. Button. Selected. English. Us. Head. Wobble. Speak sample. I need to go on a really long vacation. Wobble. Zarvox. Button. Selected. English. Us. 
Zarvat, speak sample. That looks like a peaceful planet. And those are the new English voices in iOS 16, not just Eloquence, but many others besides. First impressions after the WWDC keynote and people having installed iOS 16 developer beta 1, Christian says, well, Jonathan, our wish has finally been granted. I might be crazy enough to install the first public beta of iOS 16 just to get eloquence. I might not have to switch to Android after all. One of the key selling points for me to switch was eloquence. Well, of course, That's only the case if you've got Eloquence already because it's no longer available in the Google Play Store. And even if you've got it, you had to buy it in the first place. And so the great thing in this case is that it's built right into iOS. There's nothing extra to pay for, nothing to install. And I actually think a lot of blind people would have been willing to pay. So good on Apple for doing that. Here's Ben Watson who says, Hello, Jonathan. I just finished listening to your recap of the WWDC keynote. Thanks to you and other guests for your perspectives on what's coming in iOS and iPadOS 16. It's always an interesting and fun podcast, and I look forward to it each year. Keep up the good work. I want to comment on the use of live text. My first contact with it was when a friend sent me the notes of a presentation he made. He simply took a picture of the page in question and attached it to a text message. Immediately, my phone read it perfectly. In recent years, the chapel in the retirement center where I live has begun publishing a bulletin. While I can use Voice Dream or One Step Reader to read the bulletin, I found it just as easy and just as accurate to scan this small one-page document and get the information I want and bring it up on my BI20X Braille display. So that's my experience with live text. I haven't used it as extensively, but do see a use for it. Thanks again for your podcast, and especially for the WWDC recap episode each year. Rebecca Skipper says, I had to laugh when the presenter said that the speakers in the new M2 MacBook Air are under the keyboard. Apple has taken a feature right from the Surface laptop line. Will the iPhone webcam feature for the Mac serve as a camera for OCR? In other words, could a Mac user open an app for scanning and convert images to live text? I guess it remains to be seen, Rebecca, and perhaps somebody who's running the new Mac OS Venture Beta can comment on this. I got the impression that at least the primary purpose of this feature was to use it as a webcam for conference calls and that the API was structured accordingly, but I guess we will see. She continues, while the medication tracking feature is nice, I would like to see that expanded to include the ability to import medication lists directly from electronic records or clinic and hospital apps so that the visually impaired could get information in real time. Hey, Jonathan, it's Dennis calling to comment on the eloquence in iOS 16. That is the best news of the year. Apple is paying attention to its blind users and what they wanted for years, and that's a good thing. Other companies should uh, follow suit and pay attention because we're customers too. We spend money just like every other customer, and Apple didn't have to do this. I mean, who cares outside of the blind community about eloquence? Nobody. Most people say they can't, they can't understand it. It's hard to understand. You know, they can see that's that's the response. So Apple certainly didn't have to do this. As far as I'm concerned, they could have stopped here 
for accessibility, and there's so much more that Apple has added, the ability to unsend an email, the uh, ability to unsend a text message or edit it. I mean, there's just so much that they've added otherwise, but they could have stopped the accessibility features at Eloquence. I'm excited. I'm using it now. And it works really well. So awesome job, Apple. Thank you for listening to your users. And, you know, this is why Apple is number one as far as accessibility. They clearly listen to their users. And this is why so many blind people have iPhones. You know, this is why when, you know, you ask people what's more accessible, iPhone or Android, you get iPhone because they listen to the users. It might take years, but there's a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't know about that go into making this happen. So, you know, people need to keep that in mind too when they say, oh, it takes forever for Apple to do things. What goes on behind the scenes? Sometimes you can't replicate a bug easily. Sometimes it's not easy to add things like eloquence into the iPhone, but they got it done. That's what matters, and thank you very much, Apple. It's very much appreciated. In the UK, Jackie Brown says, I couldn't believe it either when I read of Apple's move to include eloquence in iOS 16. I'm as thrilled about that as your good self. While she's writing, Jackie talks about something that we're going to talk about later in this show. She says, as for capitalizing Braille, I always have and always will capitalize the B. I just can't understand why you wouldn't, to be honest. Matthew Whitaker is writing in and says, hello, Jonathan and listeners, hope all is well. I wanted to give my thoughts about Apple's WWDC event. I did enjoy it very much and am looking forward to all the updates coming to all the operating systems. I may grab the developer or public beta versions for testing and providing feedback. The more feedback, the better. Question for you, Jonathan. Which version of the beta should I get, the developer or public? Is there a difference? No, typically there isn't. What happens, Matthew, is that the developers get the builds first. Sometimes that can be some time in advance during the early stages of a big release like this. And usually they tighten up. So you might get usually a developer beta that comes out on day one, and then on day two or three, that same build goes to public beta. The advantage at this stage of jumping on the developer builds is that you're getting them now, whereas Apple knows that what they have is not really fit for any kind of public consumption. It's rough. They know it. We shouldn't be panicked about that. This is nice and early in the cycle. So you've got to expect bugs, as I mentioned earlier. So that's the choice, the trade-off that one makes. Matthew says, I'm super excited about the new voices that will be available for us to use. I wonder if they will also work with Siri. I'm also looking forward to the new iPhone that will be coming this year. I know we don't have that much info yet, but it's getting closer to the time when Apple announces it. Thanks for doing your recap of the Apple event on your podcast. Shout out to everyone else that was a part of the discussion. Thank you, Matthew. No, those voices are not going to be available to Siri. Siri is considered a different product, so you won't get those voices there. Tarbo was writing in and says, Hi, Jonathan. Those were some great announcements made at WWDC. But like one of your guests said, I am so looking forward to the door detection feature when it is made available. And for sure, that gives me even more reason for wanting to return to iPhone 
because I've never loved Android, even though I used it for a year now, I guess. Well, Tabo, I've heard very good things about the door detection feature in iOS 16. Some people have been out and about testing this. The door detection feature is cool if you just practice in your home environment, of course, because then it becomes a proof of concept. But I have seen feedback from people who have actually gone out into unfamiliar surroundings using a combination of the new Maps feature, where you get information about where you're heading in a very blind-friendly way now, and then the door detection to help you find that final place. Apparently, it is reading signs, it is detecting doors, it is doing super well, and it's the kind of technology that's making a practical difference to people's independence. So those are some of the preliminary comments that I have heard. That's really promising. What's on your mind? Send an email with a recording of your voice or just write it down. Jonathan at mushroomfm.com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. Or phone our listener line. The number in the United States is 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-60-667-36. Hey, Jonathan. I just listened to your podcast right now, and it's Charlie speaking. And it was on episode 181 where I heard this and I was just responding to um, the person that was asking about Zendesk. The gentleman said he was changing jobs. Has a little bit of complications from what I could observe because I was using NVDI at the time when I was using Zendesk. And I was using doing those one at, um, of we, we can do those jobs at home and sitting at home and on your bed. And I was doing those jobs and um, it was quite, quite fun the time it lasted. But setting up the system and getting it to work with Zendesk was a little bit problematic because with Zendesk, I had to use object mode in order to make everything work. So yeah, Zendesk has a little bit of problems in order to make it work. But once you get it up and running, it works flawlessly like a bomb you don't have to set it up again you set it up only once and then once it's set up you can just use the proprietary software that will come loaded on zendesk in order to give you that phoning and calling quality and everything yeah but for me it worked fine i could do everything and i could um um hook up my headsets and do a phone call and it worked perfectly fine i could um transfer calls i could uh even direct calls i was using doing call center at the time and um it was fun it was really really fun just that that my contract ended in last year 2021 and i could not continue but otherwise than that i enjoyed it thoroughly um for anyone who is actually thinking of going the route of um doing maybe a job like that with zendesk it's quite a a nice app to do i just want them to just um uh, put in some more accessibility in the app itself in order to get it set up and nicely workable and stuff that will be good i'll enjoy that very very much hey motion at large listeners it's michael in beautiful Tokyo, oregon and first of all jonathan i congratulated you on twitter for the amazing news you got but there's nothing like hearing the real human voice say 
congratulations. That's exciting. And I'm super excited to see where this adventure takes you and your family. Now, I wanted to reply to the Zendesk inquiry that was kind of just dropped in there. And I figured I should reach out. I've used Zendesk in a couple of different environments. And for the most part, everything is doable slash accessible. I've encountered some places in the admin interface where you need to disable virtual viewer while using JAWS. And if you're a voiceover user, there's a lot of interacting with tables that are inside of tables. So just be aware of that. My best experience for Zendesk is JAWS 2022 with Chrome on a Windows computer. Probably could be done with Edge, but I don't use Edge as much as I need to. Two quick tips. A, to get through the tickets quickly. And it took me a little bit to realize this because sometimes I turn my verbosity on so I don't even know that they're there. Use O for articles to jump between the tickets and then you can just down arrow. Really helpful, especially if people have long signatures and you just want to get to the contents. You could play around with flexible web to make the experience a little better as well. I've done that myself. Second tip is if you are taking calls with talk inside of Zendesk, you'll need to, and if you find an easier way, please let me know, do a find for, I do EPT for accept, and then press enter to answer the call. Then I do a find for mute because I don't want to accidentally hit enter and hang up on the caller. If I hit enter and mute, it's a different thing uh, because mute is directly above the hang up button when taking calls. One last thing is control alt P will pin a ticket. S will solve a ticket and O will keep a ticket open. Hopefully this helps a little bit, and if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I will include my email so Jonathan can send that along to whoever may need. Reach out, and I can answer some tips and ideas. And uh, from what I have heard, Zendesk is open to discussing accessibility and improving the experience. It's always great when the Mosin at Large community comes through with answers like that to a listener question. So thank you both, Charlie and Michael, for that. And Michael, it gladdens my heart to hear you mention Flexible Web. This is one of the most powerful and frequently underutilized features of JAWS. You can really customize your web experience with Flexible Web. And if you're in an environment where you depend on a well-functioning website for your job, I can't encourage you enough. Go in there and have a look at Flexible Web's documentation. Get to grips with it. You will be amazed at how you can cut out the clutter how you can emphasize certain things that need to be emphasized. It's a brilliant feature in JAWS. In episode 179, we heard from Rebecca Skipper, who was experimenting with virtual machines. This has inspired Christopher Wright to write, not with a howdy, even though he's in Texas, but with a hello, Jonathan. And he says, sorry to disappoint, but I don't particularly like or understand the weird speech patterns Texans have. Oh, mercy, that's telling y'all. Regarding virtual machines, my understanding is that the only screen reader compatible products are VMware Player, Workstation, Fusion, QEMU for Linux, and UTM for macOS. Hyper-V is 99% accessible, but I'll get to that shortly. If you use Windows, stick to VMware Player or purchase Workstation if you want advanced features such as snapshots. Snapshots are awesome! They allow you to save the state of your virtual machine at any point in time and quickly restore to that saved state, 
in the event something goes wrong. QEMU works quite well if you use the graphical virtual machine manager interface with Orca. I found the performance to be much better than VMware, which is why I really wish Hyper-V was an option on Windows. Unfortunately, QEMU requires a little more tinkering in terms of installing drivers on Windows guests, so it's not for the faint of heart. The same can be said for UTM on the Mac, as it uses QEMU under the hood. As I said before, Hyper-V is 99% accessible. The problem is the lack of sound. Hyper-V doesn't emulate a sound device on the host computer. Perhaps this is because it was originally meant for Windows Server, where the idea was that you didn't really need sound. However, it's been 14 years since Windows Server 2008, and it's now included with editions of Windows 8 Pro and higher. We still don't have native sound support. Microsoft documents some sort of enhanced session mode, but in order to use it to get sound working, you have to enable remote desktop services in your VM. If you can't hear the virtual machine, obviously this can't be done by someone who is totally blind. It also means this only works with Windows, not Linux. The best solution I've found is to get someone sighted to enable remote desktop and then RDP into the VM from the host computer. This is unacceptable in 2022. Isn't there a statement somewhere on Microsoft's accessibility website that says something about empowering every person on the planet? They claim they want to help people with disabilities and increase employment opportunities, yet I've heard nothing concerning Hyper-V and remote access. You can't tell me the talented people working at Microsoft could take maybe a day or week to come up with a solution to this. Emulate a USB audio device or a really common sound card and allow it to be selected during VM creation. Imagine all the potential employment opportunities this could open for a blind system administrator. I encourage everyone to report this oversight to Microsoft immediately. The sooner this is resolved, the better. Hyper-V performs much better than VMware, as far as I can tell, and it's ridiculous we're locked out simply because it doesn't support sound. You can create all kinds of virtual machines. For example, I have a Windows XP virtual machine I run to play some old audio games that don't work well on modern Windows. If you'd like to try Linux, I highly recommend Linux MintMate in a virtual machine. The Mate desktop works the best for a blind user, and I have found Mint to be the most stable distribution. Orca doesn't crash nearly as much as it does on everything else I've tried. Orca is a completely different topic, though. All I'll say is it would be great if the blind Linux community was much more active, because maybe Orca would be in far better shape than it currently is. What we really need is NVDA for Linux, concludes Christopher. This email says, Hi, my name is Sonia. I have been listening to Mosin at Large for about two years, but it is my first contribution. Well, a warm welcome to you, and thank you for listening all this time. First, I wanted to say thank you. You introduced me to a few gems like Castro, Lear, and Spring. Mosin at Large is a very interesting podcast, full of information and diverse opinions. Something I wanted to share regarding my new ride, the Spirit Fitness XBR55 recumbent bike. 
Wow, that almost sounds as good as a Nimbus 2000, doesn't it? I already had a Spirit fitness bike when my eyesight dropped. I was able to still use it thanks to the physical buttons, but lost access to a lot of useful data, RPM, speed, heart rate, etc., until I upgraded to the Bluetooth-enabled XBR55. With the Spirit Plus application, I regained access to that data. The app is what I would call accidentally accessible and not perfect. I contacted Spirit Fitness with comments and suggestions, but considering how hard it is to find even remotely accessible fitness gear, I wanted to share. Since being diagnosed with MS back in 2017, I made several changes in my life, especially regarding diet and exercise. I lost 75 pounds in the last five years. Wow, congratulations. Regaining access to workout data will make it even more effective and safer. So I'm very glad the app is as accessible as it is. On a completely different subject, I have a question you or your listeners might be able to help me with. Along with my eyesight, my hearing deteriorated. Listening to the TV is a challenge, especially newer stuff, where the music volume is loud and often makes dialogue hard to hear. I have a Samsung TV connected to the TV Link Box, a Phonak device allowing the TV sound to be directed straight into my Phonak hearing aids. I'm trying to improve the sound quality and address the issue of the too loud music. Would a soundbar help by allowing for music to be sent to a different channel than dialogue? I also wonder if the soundbar output could be sent to the TV link. I hope my question is clear. I'm a fairly newcomer where audio setup is concerned. A huge thank you in advance. You do great work and it is very appreciated. Well, thank you, Sonia. It sounds like you have gone through a lot and you're doing your best to get on with life and make the most of it. And congratulations for taking that attitude. It's not always easy, I'm sure. When I was in the Phonak ecosystem, I did have a TV link. It worked well enough. If you were to get a soundbar, there is no way to separate music from dialogue so that you could just have the dialogue going to your TV link and music playing on the soundbar. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. If you're having trouble hearing dialogue from the TV, then it's possible that the TV link program on your hearing aids might need some adjusting. If you can explain to your audiologist what's happening, they may be able to tweak the equalization settings of the TV adapter program to emphasize speech frequencies better, Also, better use of dynamic audio compression may mean that you can make the speech come up through the noise a little more prominently. So I'm not sure whether there's any gear that you might be able to buy that would improve this any. My first suggestion would be to have a chat to your audiologist and see if they can work with you on trying to get those speech sounds up in the program that you have. Best of luck. I hope they can come up with something that improves your enjoyment of TV. Be the first to know what's coming in the next episode of Mosin at Large. Opt in to the Mosin media list and receive a brief email on what's coming so you can get your contribution in ahead of the show. You can stop receiving emails anytime. To join, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. 
That's media-subscribe at mosen.org. Stay in the know with Mosen at Large. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about Braille Head in TalkBack for Android 13, or should I say the lack thereof. Why is this important and what's going on? And for those people who own Braille displays that support HID exclusively and who bought them in good faith, thinking that the industry would coalesce around this standard, what do we do? I'm joined by Andrew Flaters from Humanware to talk about this. Andrew, I really appreciate you being willing to come on the podcast and have a chat. So welcome back. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Jonathan. It's always a pleasure. I know that people who are listening to this podcast are at different stages of understanding. So could you explain for the beginner what Brailhead is, why it's so important, and why Humanware really has gone all in at this point on the standard? Sure, no problem. So um, it all started, I guess, around about 2017, so many years ago, where members of the USB if HID working group, which include the likes of Microsoft, Apple and Google, we all came together, included the support of brow manufacturers, like Humanware, Hims, and other AT companies like Freedom Scientific, where we wanted to bring in a standard that will improve brow display implementation. Uh, decrease cost and time to market and ultimately empower the people who are blind and have low vision that they can just connect their brow displays and it will work seamlessly without the need of custom software and drivers you know created for particular screen readers and, and devices and that's over the past few years of brow devices connecting to Apple devices, Microsoft computers, you know, you'd always have to install software to detect the drivers. So think of this Braille HID standard as a keyboard. Where you plug in a keyboard or a mouse to a computer, it automatically detects with no need to interact with any additional drivers. And so that was the implementation and the goal behind this whole group gathering together to create this new Braille HID standard. And uh, that started as a 2017 at CSUN, and uh, the anticipation of support was going to be bringing it around about 2019. Since then, only Apple have actually implemented the new Braille head. And uh, one of the few devices that include the support is, of course, the Humanware's new Brilliant BIX, the Mantis Q40 from APH, and, of course, the Chameleon 20 from APH. I do believe that there are some other displays. Uh, I think it's the Orbit that also supports the, the new head standard. So many new Braille displays that are coming into, into the market are supporting this new standard because Everyone believed it was the way forward. It was the simplicity. It was the best way forward for mainstream technology. And yeah, unfortunately, not everyone has followed that, which is disappointing, to say the least. So if I can go back to the pre-HID days, and actually, as you'll appreciate, this is something I have some considerable sympathy for. You've got this great new Braille display, let's say, and you're wanting to bring it to market as quickly as possible, get some revenue in, but most importantly, put cool new technology in the hands of blind people. You've got to make sure, as the manufacturer, that you write drivers that work, say, with JAWS, something else that works with NVDA, potentially then Narrator, potentially then iOS and Android and on and on it goes. There is no one way pre-HID to make one interface that means that that new Braille display that you've developed will talk to everything. Exactly right, yes. It's a very long, long path to, to support all of the screen readers. And, uh, you know, the goal is to, to support many. You know, we want to improve the user's experience. And the best way forward was to, to introduce this new Braille HID standard. 
Is there a downside to it, though? Is it so generic that some screen readers may not be able to work the same degree of magic that they would if you had written a specific driver? I'm thinking, for example, that for some time, at least, I'm not sure if it's the case now, in JAWS, you would go through a certification process that guaranteed some sort of quality there. Is head up to snuff, do you think? Well, it's a new standard. And like any kind of new standard, it takes a while for it to be adopted. There's always issues that, you know, when you first get introduced to a new standard, it's always a work in progress. You always find something wrong with it, it needs to needs to be improved. As far as customization on other displays, it will obviously limit that. However, I do think that screen readers will have the power to, um, you know, to introduce additional drivers for certain brow displays if they if they see that you know see that fit so you were all sitting around this table and a representative at least from google was a part of that discussion so humanware i take it would have been fully expecting that when google eventually got around to supporting braille natively shall we say in talkback without the need for some sort of third-party thing like braille that braillehead would be a part of that new standard Yes, yeah, and uh, you know we we launched the the new Braille displays uh, last year, twenty twenty one. Of course, prior to that, we had to think about the new product, and when we developed it, it t- takes about eighteen months. So, in this whole process of development, we decided that the best way forward was to continue with the new Braille Hit standard, which was soon to be starting in twenty nineteen. Since then, we've worked very closely with Apple to introduce it to Apple. Apple have been tremendously supportive on the new Braille Hit standard and we've been working together to improve that and they're very open to improving it even further. Um, fortunately on the Google side um, they did try to implement that you know I have to say they had to, they did try to implement the new standard but they were struggling and decided to move to a different part of their roadmap on the accessibility as it it was a bit of a struggle for them I believe. Obviously, there are some who've been working away on Braille at Google who feel a sense of frustration that what they believe is significant progress has been overshadowed by this head discussion. They are suggesting that there may be a bit of a disconnect at Google that people who gave that commitment to implement head back in those early CSUN discussions may not necessarily have conveyed that message that there was an expectation that Google would go in on head to those who could actually do the coding. Do you detect that? Do you think there is some sort of communication disconnect at Google that has now got us into the mess that we're in? I I can't really comment on that so much, really. I mean, other than that, um, you know, all members that were involved in the in discussion, and there was a lot of discussions via email, everyone was heavily involved from Microsoft to Google to Apple and screen readers and, ma- and brand manufacturers. We all got involved one way or another. Um, so the communication was through one channel and was organized mainly, I guess, from Microsoft. But yeah, that's that's all that I can really sort of comment on that. Is head support in narrator at the moment? It's not currently in narrator. Mm. Um, I do know that they are fully on board and they are working towards that. Um, it's currently supported in NVDA. And uh, I believe with the new Windows 11 that Microsoft are looking to incorporate that new HID standard. And I think right now there may not necessarily be a generic HID driver as such in JAWS. So if I'm getting this right, uh, you at HumanWare would have had to write a JAWS-specific driver for Brilliant. Is that correct? 
That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So why is it taking so long? I mean, here we are in 2022 and you have a number of significant players. So I just want to make sure I'm not picking on Google exclusively here because we have Microsoft (laughs) where it's not in the router. We have JAWS where, you know, there's no native head support built in. Have you been hung out to dry as a company on this going all in on head so quickly? Um, I mean, again, I can't really comment too much about um, why screen readers haven't you know all screeners haven't adopted this and microsoft haven't adopted i do know that microsoft have been trying really hard to adopt this there were some issues with the usb if that was causing some tremendous issues so that had to be addressed first and i guess really some screen readers are waiting for microsoft to adopt that but uh, i do know microsoft have been working very closely with with nvda and have helped them to incorporate that into their their screen reader as well. So it's a new standard. There's always things that happen when it's a new standard, as I mentioned, and we're all learning. But from the humanware side, you know, we do believe that it is the way forward. We really want to push to all mainstream technology organizations uh, like Microsoft and Apple and Google to continue down this path because it's the best way forward for our users. But for the support of backwards compatibility, which I'm sure that's a question that you're about to ask, um, yep. you know, that there are rail displays that are supporting both. Mm. It is something that we are looking into. We've got many new Braille displays out there, uh, including the, the display for the NLS e-reader. So there is an NLS e-reader out there that inherits the, the new Braille hit standard, but does not support the backwards compatibility to the serial connection that Android currently supports. So there's, you know, that's the limitation there is that it does not support Android uh, via Bluetooth. Um, I believe you can plug in a, a USB-C cable to the device and install the Braille TTY uh, screen reader, and that will be able to um, to get you up and running. But for the Bluetooth side of Braille HID, that's not compatible yet. And we will be looking to incorporate that. I, I can't promise when and, and, and if, but of course, the problem with that now, it takes away dedicated resources from, from like places like Humanware that could be more useful to improve the um, you know enhancements on the device. And other and other products potentially, and innovate other products. But now we're we're here today after five years. We now have to kind of counter uh, intuition ourselves by going backwards to support something that really should be already supported in the first place. Yes, because Brow TTY works with head devices over USB-C, I did wonder if TalkBack itself in Android 13 would work the same way, but I am told that it will not. So even if you connect a USB-C device in TalkBack for its Braille support, you're not going to get head support in any form whatsoever. So it's obviously very disappointing. Is it kind of a moral issue as well, though? I mean, obviously, it's a resource issue for a company like Humanware. But if you surrender i guess for want of a better term and you introduce this old code this backward compatibility it lets companies with much larger resource bases like google which is a massive company and could deploy all kinds of engineering resources if it wanted to off the hook doesn't it um i I mean again i can't really speak too much about what they do in their roadmaps um i mean google have been very supportive of of humanware's products in the past and still to date um you know not uh (laughs) Not to at all um, saying that, that they don't, but certainly um, for humanware, it's it's a strain to to obviously now go backwards 
and uh, and tried to implement a backwards uh, compatibility. And as I said, really didn't want to go down this path, but I understand that there are many, many users that want to have this compatibility, and so they should. Mm. Um, but we're now led to that we have to kind of lead that and uh, and take responsibility. But I really wanted to to kind of address the the whole room to say that it's not all human wares and brown manufacturers responsibility. It's the responsibility of those like Google and Microsoft and Apple to, of course, adopt this new standard, which everyone agreed back in 2017. If you could do it again, would you have just put the backward compatibility in the devices from the get go? Um. I would say that we would support probably both from the get-go. Uh, I think we've made the right decision by going forward with the new Braille hit standard because mm. we've really pushing the barriers with Apple. Apple have really aligned well with us in trying to advance the new standard. And, and everyone's learning. You know, HumanWare's been learning with this new standard. Apple's learned with this new standard. If no one took it on, we wouldn't be talking about this today. I yeah. think the Braille, the new Braille hit standard would have just died away. I think there's few companies out there that uh, are really trying to push this um you know humanware is one of them and we do believe that this is the better way forward so going backwards i think i would have introduced both but again it all adds up to resources that companies like humanware with little resources we have to kind of manage and we have to pick one or the other obviously we've got blind people in the middle here who just want their devices to work and so that's why you are considering whether there's something that you can do and i take it if there is that would just come down by way of a firmware update yeah that's the way that would have to incorporate this and the only concern is it it could obviously add complexity which is what we don't want we don't want to add complexity to the user interface how do we determine or how does the user determine to know which connection to choose you know, we don't want that user to choose. We want it to be seamless. So it's something that we have to think about. We have to take on board. Um, it's not as simple as just adding the serial connection and, and, and the way we go. We, we really have to think this out and how long, of course, it's going to take. You know, and of course, that's going to be resources that we're using away from other projects as well. Obviously, you would be hoping that the lack of Railhead support in TalkBack for Android is fairly short-lived. We would hope so. And, and we would encourage users to contact Google to inform them of this, you know, to really approach Google and say that, you know, we're really disappointed that that we're unable to connect these new Braille displays with the with a new Braille hit standard. That's what we'd encourage for now. I think really it's 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 about the number of people that really communicate that to Google and hopefully that they can kind of jump shift on their roadmap and really pay attention to this and um and incorporate that new Braille hit standard. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Andrew, and we will keep in touch on this. I'm more than welcome. Thank you very much, Jonathan. The American Council of the Blind will soon be assembling for a hybrid convention. Those attending in person will be heading to Omaha. So you might say there are a lot of stakeholders attending. In preparation for the event, its resolutions committee has been meeting. The committee has received two resolutions about a topic that we have discussed extensively on this podcast. The capitalization of the word Braille when referring to the code. Now, the ACB Students Division submitted a resolution supporting the capitalization of Braille in all cases, if I might use the expression. Given that a considerable majority of contributors to this podcast support the capitalization of Braille, many may be surprised to learn, and indeed believe it's a bit ironic, really, that the Braille Revival League submitted a resolution opposing the capitalization of Braille. So to discuss the question 
of Two Capital B or not Two Capital B. I'm joined by Braille Revival League President Paul Edwards. Paul, it is a blast having you on the show. I can't remember the last time we did any internet radio or podcasting malarkey like this. Yeah, we should have done more, but I, I truly appreciate the opportunity to come on and and discuss this question with you. I think the, the Braille Revival League feels fairly strongly about the position that we've taken, though there are no dueling resolutions anymore. BRL withdrew theirs. And um, the other resolution, that is the student's resolution, went forward from the resolutions committee with no recommendation. So essentially, uh, and, and I'm, I'm saying this in advance because I don't want there to be any misunderstanding, in order for it to be voted on, somebody will have to move it. I am fairly confident that there will be no shortage of a mover for this. I think that is the case. Yeah. For, <laughs> for, for those who are unaware, what is BRL, the Braille Revival League? What is its purpose? The Braille Revival League was started in, in 1980 or so. And I think there were two factors that led to its beginning. One was the overweening desire of the American Council of the Blind to form as many damn chapters as they could <laughs> under uh, the leadership of Durward McDaniel. And the other uh, was we were at that point, and really in a, in a way still are, at a crossroads with regard to Braille in that speech had just materialized on the scene. We were just beginning to see the very first Braille displays that you and I played with in the 80s. But what we were also seeing was this huge movement in the United States anyway to essentially have school systems say, well, we don't need to teach blind kids Braille anymore because they've got speech computers. It's a lot easier for them to learn. They can do everything they can do with speech. They don't need Braille and it's hard for them to learn. We don't have the teachers who know how to teach it. At the same time, there was some serious question as to how committed the National Library Service was to ongoing Braille production and not altering the amount that they produce because of how expensive producing hard copy Braille is, especially in bulk. And so we felt that there was a real need for an organization that would promote the use and the value and the valuing of Braille as an entity. There used to be an NFB organization that was similar to ours called NAPUB, the National Association to Promote the Use of Braille. But I think NAPUB has gone by the wayside. So I think the only consumer organization promoting Braille at this point is the Braille Revival League, at least in this country. When you look at the renaissance that has gone on with Braille devices now, and indeed NLS is distributing these e-readers, which is just a remarkable turn of events, very exciting. It is. Has BRL run its course? Has it achieved its objective? Does it need to exist anymore? Yes, for four quick reasons, and there are probably loads of others. The first is that one of the things that will happen with the emergence of these e-readers is there, I think, will be much more pressure provided by the government, perhaps even provided by NLS, to discontinue or severely limit the production of hard copy Braille. I'm not sure that's a good thing for loads of folks, especially those who are so old that they're not going to adjust well to electronic devices and really depend and value hard copy Braille. I think the second factor is it doesn't matter how many devices you produce if you don't have a population 
that's going to be able to utilize them effectively and appropriately. The number of Braille readers continues to decline with the National Library Service. I am concerned that rehabilitation agencies are being squeezed so much by an absence of funding, particularly for serving seniors, that one of the results is the amount of time that th- that's available for teaching Braille gets constrained to the point where people don't leave with enough knowledge even to play in the grade one courtyard. And finally, the last thing that I think is important is I think that once we get to the point where Braille displays are everywhere, one of the things that is likely to happen, assuming I'm correct about NLS cutting down on its hard copy Braille production is we're going to see the absolute disappearance of an infrastructure for the production of paper Braille, period. And I think that would be scary. Your comment about in the 1980s when speech devices started to really blossom, that Braille Mm -hmm. had had its day, it was obsolete. I'm very familiar with that argument. And that segues us nicely into the primary discussion, really, because what goes on in the United States tends to influence the rest of the world for better or worse. When I was a kid, and I assume that this was also the case when you were a kid because you were a kid before I was. <laughs> I was. I was kiddier. Yeah, yeah. Braille was always capitalized. <laughs> and then gradually I started to see the capital B being dropped in American books. But, of course, it was hard to tell with British books because they didn't capitalize anything. (laughs) They did not. (laughs) But certainly I noticed this from American books. And then, of course, in 2006, Banner was fielding a lot of questions, the Braille Authority of North America, about should we be capitalizing Braille when referring to the code or not. And so they published their position statement. And that's still around today. It's still referred to regularly, saying that Braille shouldn't be capitalized when referring to the code. For me, there are two broad issues at play here. I don't know that they ever, and let's be clear about this. I don't know that, I I don't know that that it ever went any further than being adopted as a value by them. I don't think they made really any significant effort to persuade any of the entities who are continuing to capitalize Braille that they should stop. Well, see, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because that comes back to the matter of who has the moral authority to make these calls when it comes to Braille. Who actually owns Braille? And I would suggest to you that it's blind people ourselves who own Braille and that really Banham lacked the moral authority to make that statement in the first place, that when you talk to rank-and-file blind people, they do not want this in the main. They want Braille to be capitalised. Both the ACB, the NFB, and the Blind Veterans Association are represented on BANA and do have the ability to speak up and speak out. I think that even though the general attitude of people in this country seems to be that BANA pulled the wool over their eyes with the adoption of the Unified English Braille Code, Mm. the truth is there, there was really a lot of effort to create consensus, and the consumer organizations were fully consulted before a decision to adopt it was taken. Well, regarding Braille... So I, so I guess the point that I'm making with all of this is I am not prepared to accept the notion that users of Braille are left out of the loop by Banner. What you've got, though, is you mentioned NFB being a part of Banner, for example. They have in their style guide their preference to capitalize Braille when referring to the code. 
I worked for Freedom Scientific, and it was in their style guide when I was there that Braille should be capitalized when referring to the code. When it comes up on this podcast, the majority of people say Braille should be capitalized when referring to the code. And when I talk to people who are not English speakers, they are totally perplexed. They say, why is this even an issue? We always capitalize it. So for me, there are two broad issues at play that I want to canvas with you and really explore this. First is looking at the way that similar words are handled in the English language and to consider what precedent there might be. But then the second issue is regardless of that, whether we reach a consensus about that or not, what's right for the blind community? What's culturally appropriate for the blind community? Could I ask you first, if Morse code is spelt with a capital M, if Fahrenheit is spelt with a capital F, if Celsius is spelt with a capital C, if Kelvin is spelt with a capital K, all systems named after their inventors, and even closer to home than that, if Nemeth is spelt with a capital N when referring to the Nemeth Braille code, why should we not capitalize B when referring to the Braille code? Well, I can't really speak to the Nemeth code because I would argue that's in the same position as Braille. But here are some of the arguments, at least, that I would deduce for why Braille should not be capitalized. First, none of the terms that you've described are verbs. Braille is. So we Braille a document just as we print a document, just as we read a document. And none of those things are capitalized. Another factor is, while I absolutely believe that Louis Braille is pivotal to the development and the implementation of Braille, I think that unless an awful lot of other things happened, Braille would not be in anything like the position it's in now. And our obsession almost with Louis Braille as the only person whose name and whose history we know, I think loses sight of some very brave and amazing people throughout the history of Braille. One of them, for example, is the superintendent of the Missouri School for the Blind in 1851, who had the courage to say, I want to stand up for Braille and I want to adopt it in my school. It's amazing how brave that was. It hadn't been adopted in France by then. There'd been no effort made to do very much. Early organizations of and for blind people in the United States and in Britain also truly rescued Braille from all of the other strange approaches to writing that were being promoted. It also wasn't until a Braille printing press was invented in the 1880s, which suddenly made mass production of Braille possible that Braille really began to take off because it was a lot easier to produce the other kinds of devices than it was to produce Braille materials. As late as 1947, the Perkins folks invented the Perkins Brailler, which has certainly revolutionized Braille access. Perkins, yes, and Brailler, not often. If you see, use your Brailler to write, Generally, that's not capitalized, nor should it be. So my point, not to, I I mean, I could provide you with 25 or 30 more examples of people who are amazingly influential in the evolution of Braille. But my point is that I believe that it's absolutely appropriate and wonderful to venerate Louis Braille for what he did. But I think it detracts from our understanding of the complex and amazing history of a medium of communication not to include those others and to almost overshadow their importance by our stress on Louis Braille. 
I'll come back to the verb question in just a moment because I think that is very interesting. But you describe Louis Braille as pivotal to the invention of Braille. He is the inventor. It's his system. So without detracting from others who helped to develop that system, they wouldn't have had a system to develop without the Braille code. It's a bit like saying we shouldn't capitalize Celsius because of all the electronic thermometers and other people who lobbied for the implementation of Celsius around the world. In the end, it's his scale. Braille is Braille's code. None of the other people that you talk about could have been influential without Braille the code invented by Braille the man. Um, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, there, were, there was a lot of evidence in France in the 1850s that there was relatively little support for Braille and, and that, that, that the school where Louis taught after his death, generally determined that that wasn't the direction they ought to go. Mm. Um, and it, it was other people who ended up rescuing it. Really, it, you know, I think folks in England and in the United States who eventually in the 1880s and 90s, and particularly in, in England, soon after the turn of the 20th century, when they adopted grade two braille, or its equivalent, was the time when it seems to me anyway, a lot of what we today know as Braille came into being and came into existence. At the same time, there are so many other kinds of Braille. Louis Braille certainly had something to do with music Braille, but most of the other kinds of Braille that have emerged since then, while they're based on the same six dots, are entirely different and extended the usability and the viability of Braille substantially. And it was Louis Braille who came up with that unique pattern of six dots in a configuration that dots just the right size for the human finger to be able to quickly whisk over them and uh, turn those dots into language. So you've really made the point that without his genius, none of these other iterations of the Braille code that you talk about would have happened because Braille invented the code in the first place. Whenever we talk about Louis Braille, of course, we should capitalize it. And I suppose you might be able to persuade me, perhaps, though I, I'm not sure, that when Braille is a noun, I could probably live with capitalizing. Right. So I wanted to come back to your verb point because I haven't responded to that. And I think that is really important. In New Zealand now, we are having this discussion. There is finally a democratic process about capitalizing B when referring to the Braille Code. And one of the things that has come up in that discussion is this verb question and whether it should be capitalized in that instance. I think that's a much more contentious, nuanced point. An example is Google which these days is a noun and a verb. And I don't actually know. I'm, I'm not sure how often I've seen it written down where somebody says, I Googled this the other day and here's what I found. I don't oh, know whether in that no. situation you capitalize the G or you don't. Uh, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm not sure I would. I'm not sure I'd capitalize very many verbs. What we are talking about here, though, is not simply that question of should you capitalize Braille when you're talking about it as a verb. It has become the recommendation of Banner, that when you are talking about the code, in other words, I wrote this down in Braille today. So we're not talking about I brailled this. I wrote this in Braille. You should use a lowercase b in that context. And that is, I think, what a lot of people right. find not only disrespectful, but actually offensive. Well, and, and, and I absolutely do not. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why. I think one of the things that we in the blindness community have fought 
ever since Braille became prominent, is a notion that Braille is not a medium of communication, but is in fact a language. And there are many who argue that it has nothing to do with Louis Braille, that the capital B happened, but rather because a lot of the orthographers who write rules for spelling believe that Braille is a language and therefore capitalize it as they would French or English or German or or Swahili. That does, for me, immense harm to blind people and to the notion of the medium of communication that they have because it creates and perpetuates misunderstanding, which we flat out don't need. We all agree that it's not true, I believe. At least I hope we do. Braille, of course, is not a language. It's a code that makes language accessible to blind people. But I think that there would be more debate about the idea that somehow capitalizing Braille was a thing that sighted people did under the misapprehension that Braille is a language. Because as I've said, we capitalize a lot of systems named after their inventor. And suddenly we've decided that Braille, for some reason, should be different. And if that reason that it should be different is to say to the world, Braille is not a language, are there not other ways to do that? Can't we continue public education without having to disrespect Louis Braille's contribution by not capitalizing Braille when referring to the code? I think we have to educate them by doing the one tangible and effective thing that we can, which is to say to them, stop doing what is misleading and inappropriate and begin to do what characterizes the real situation with the Braille code. But the problem you've got is that there's a significant groundswell of blind people who don't agree that it's inappropriate. In fact, they would say the reverse. They believe that it is inappropriate not to capitalize B when referring to the Braille code, taking the verb thing to one side for a moment. There's just not that general support out there for that position. I don't have a sample size that's large enough to indicate to me what the situation is in kind of informal polls that, that, that we have done in talking with individuals who have tuned into ACB's resolutions meetings. What I have found is that a majority of people appear to believe that capitalization of Braille isn't appropriate in, in our context. There are some reasons why that may be the case that have nothing to do with the correctness of the situation. I mean, clearly, we as the Braille Revival League are the affiliate in the American Council of the Blind that is supposed to represent Braille. And it could be that we get some name recognition and, and, and also that what we say is perhaps given some value that might not exist for the students group. I worked very hard to make sure that the students group got a hearing because, as you know, that's just the way I believe that things have to happen. So one of the things that I did was to send them the document that you wrote a few months ago about Braille to the whole resolutions committee so they'd have an opportunity to read that. Um, because, I, I, like you, I'm not interested in peddling something that is likely to be denigrated by people who are blind. That's that's entirely the opposite from the point of view that I operate with. However, it is certainly my belief uh, as a blind person that I gain more um, by not capitalizing Braille than I do by capitalizing it. Morse code, if I can come back to that example, because I think mm-hmm. that's actually quite analogous, really. It's a code that interprets language in another way. Braille is tactile, Morse is audible. 
You don't hear the argument from radio amateurs, for example, that Morse shouldn't be capitalised. It's pretty much always capitalised when I've looked. And nobody thinks Morse is a language, at least to the best of my knowledge. I think there are two things. I think that, in a way, Morse code comes closer to being a language than Braille does because there are individuals, particularly individuals who are multiply disabled, whose only ability to communicate involves using Morse code. But surely a deaf-blind um, person's I, in the same position with Braille. Uh, in a similar one, yes. I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's precisely the same, but I think it's similar. So I'll give you that. But I don't know where, so I, so I can't make an argument for or against it, the notion of capitalizing Morse code came from. I don't think it was simply to venerate Samuel Morse, though clearly the code that he's developed has survived and done well and, and made a huge difference. Yeah, um, by enabling the development of the of, of the telegraph and 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 creating almost instantaneous communications across huge distances. So I'm certainly not minimizing its importance. Mm. I, I agree with you about that. I don't think it's capitalized to venerate him either. I, I think this comes back yeah. to my first point. I'm going to come back to the veneration thing, but this comes back to my first point that when you look at scales or inventions of that nature, such as Celsius and Fahrenheit and Kelvin and the Morse code and the Nemeth code, those things are capitalized through no veneration. It's simply because it's custom and practice to capitalize those sorts of things which have been invented by an individual. And I'm wondering why, in that case then, Louis Braille's invention should be treated differently by a group of the very people whose lives it changed. Apart from the disrespect angle, it doesn't seem grammatically appropriate to me. Um, I, I, I don't know that it's grammatically appropriate or inappropriate to treat it in either way. I do believe that uh, some veneration is due Louis Braille, and certainly always capitalizing his name is, is, is relevant. And, and as I told you before, I could probably live with capitalizing Braille as a noun. Um, but I'm, I, I, can't, I can't go along with, with capitalizing anything else because as an adjective, I think Braille refers to a whole range of things. And if we look at other words that refer to similar things that are being done, as with Braille, we don't capitalize printing. Uh, we don't capitalize copying. We don't capitalize a whole range of words that describe the act of producing Braille. We don't capitalize writing. We don't capitalize reading. We don't, in fact, do anything but recognize them for what they are and fit them in to the whole pantheon of words that we use to describe actions that are similar and that characterize the way Braille helps us. Yeah, I hear this argument a lot from proponents of not capitalizing Braille when referring to the code. The difference, of course, is that all those things you mentioned were not systems designed by an individual. There's no Mr. or Ms. or Ms. print or copy, or read. So maybe another solution, rather than disrespecting the inventor by not capitalizing his system in the same way that so many other systems are, is to change the name of the code. It's interesting that Louis Brow himself called it dot writing. So yes. if it is found so inappropriate 
to capitalize the code name, why don't we agree on another name that doesn't involve the name of the inventor? Because I suggest that that would really bring this issue into the sunlight and a lot more people would realize what's going yeah. on here. It, they, they, they would. And I, and, and I suspect, as, as I think you do, uh, that that if anybody attempted to do such a thing, people would say, "How dare you!" Exactly, and, and, which is <laughs> what I'm saying to you about say, this very thing. <laughs> yeah, I understand that that's what you're saying, Mr. Bruce. Yeah. Sir. Uh, I think the other the other thing that we need to recognize, though, is is that there's no universality about the way that our world treats people. I I don't know of anybody who speaks of Gutenberging. Do you? No, but we're going to park the verb thing, right? So the the verb thing, I think, is a slightly but, but, more... But it doesn't matter. I mean, we don't, we don't speak of a Gutenberger for a printer. No, I, I think that if we were talking about the verb, it's a much more nuanced discussion. But what banner sure. since 2006 and what you seem to be saying, although you're, you're saying that you could be persuadable, and I want to come back to that in a bit, but what Banner has said for all these years is you shouldn't even capitalize Brow when referring to the code. And I think it's that that a lot of people just find fundamentally wrong and disrespectful. Yes, but I, I, I don't support that notion because of Banner. I support that notion as a blind person for the reasons that I've that I've tried to do my best to elucidate tonight. I, yeah. I you know, I, 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 I probably am not the best debater God ever built. I've known you long enough to know that uh, if anyone has their own mind, it's Paul Edwards. Can I, he tries. Can I just move us sure. on to the question of the veneration that you've sort of talked about? Yes. And, and I must admit, your comments about this made me feel quite sad. And I, I want to share my perspective on this with you so that perhaps you get a feel for where I'm coming from. A few sure. years ago... I began a meditation practice. It's made a huge difference in my life. And as part of that, I also began keeping a gratitude journal where I force myself, even on the darkest of days, to write 10 things that I'm grateful for. And in that gratitude journal, I quite regularly express gratitude for Braille the Code, which was given to me by Braille the Man. When all is said and done, he started this whole thing off, this whole amazing path to literacy, this priceless gift that we have. And he was a blind man. Braille was a blind man who at one point, and you referred to this, you referred to the, the waning of the Braille code for a while in Paris. Yes. Braille lived actually to see his books burned for a time because Correct. it was thought that the sighted way was the superior way. Louis Braille, yes. in my view, and I, I hope this resonates with you as a very effective advocate, Louis Braille was the original example in a blindness context of nothing about us without us, that when we solve our own problems, better outcomes follow. So in my gratitude journal, I frequently think of the jobs that I've been able to do, the speeches and the presentations and the radio shows and all of that stuff. And most important of all, the bedtime stories that I've read to my kids and I'll soon be reading to my grandchild Louis Braille's genius and his code, it gave all of that to me. Do you see where I'm coming from? And so for you to say that almost sweep what he did under the carpet in quite a dismissive way, it, it hurts. It, I, I, I think he, he's given us so much. My life would have been so different without his sacrifice and his genius. 
I, I, I don't think I don't think there is anybody on either side of the debate who would attempt to sweep Louis Braille under the carpet. It's certainly not my intention, but it is my intention to suggest that we could look back in, in the history of science to innumerable inventions that were perhaps as important and perhaps as relevant as Braille's that went nowhere for a variety of reasons, perhaps because of the times that we were operating in. There were a number of scientific discoveries that were made, for example, during the Middle Ages, which the church declared inappropriate. If we take Galileo's history and some of the early astronomy that was practiced in the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries, one of the things that resulted from that is that many good men of science were burned because they had the courage to stand up for what they believed and for, for the values that they had. And I don't make that point to denigrate Louis Braille, but rather to say it's not uncommon in our civilization to have heroes who rise significantly above the level of us ordinary mortals by what they do and by the courage that they're prepared to exert. Louis Braille is one of those folks, but so, for me, is the superintendent of the Missouri School. So are blind people who, in the face of moon type and a whole range of other things, had the courage to stand up and say to those people on whom they depended because of their involvement in sheltered workshops, we believe that Braille is the right answer, and we believe that you need to adopt it. I feel the same way about the blind people in the UK who said Braille is never going to make it if it simply remains grade one. We have to invent a series of contractions that we agree on, and that is the only way that we're going to be able to produce Braille in enough quantity and in a small enough space that we can actually circulate it. So let's agree on a set of values and a set of contractions that will work. All of these people, to me, are amazingly courageous and amazingly important in creating what we have today. And please don't misunderstand me, Jonathan. I, like you, know deep in my heart that I could not have done the things I've done in my life without Braille. I would not be nearly the effective communicator I am were it not for my ability to, to, to utilize and write and read and bedtime stories for kids been there, done that. Bedtime stories for grandchildren, been there, done that. I don't undervalue Braille, nor I hope do I not venerate Louis Braille, but I see Braille and science and progress as a continuum. And we've got to be careful that what we don't do is raise one single individual to the pinnacle of the mountain while we're burying everybody else underground. I went through a bit of a journey via this podcast, in fact, where I was persuaded through the discussions that we've had on the podcast that there is such a thing as blind culture. And for a long time, I resisted that concept. And now I believe it's true. I think there are all sorts of things that can cause one to have a culture and you can be an adherent to multiple cultures. And I do think it's important that we record the evolution of the liberation of blind people. There are many people, whether it be through the literacy that we've been talking about or advocacy, who have made possible the things that many of us take for granted. 
And I welcome the idea of us celebrating our history. I don't know if you're familiar with the work that Peggy Chong's been doing, and she has called herself the Blind History Lady, and she has uncovered some amazing things relating to people who have largely been long forgotten. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. But with respect- I'm, I'm not nearly as familiar as I should be with her. She's I've, done some I've great stuff. Many wonderful things about her. Yeah, yeah. And, and I welcome this, you know, because- we're all, we're all on this journey. We're all on this continuum. Hopefully, we will hand things over when our time comes to people who will further take us on this journey of emancipation and equality and all those things. So it is a continuum. But in the end, you see, the Braille Code represents literacy. That's what it boils down to. We were functionally illiterate before the Braille Code. But I wanted to ask you about something. We we had a, a discussion about Braille as a verb, and I'm yes. agreeing with you that that is a slightly more nuanced discussion. And what I wondered was, would you consider a friendly amendment to the resolution in the interests of a consensus that said, okay, ACB should support capitalization of Braille when it's referring to the code because essentially Braille is talking about the Braille code. When we talk about Braille in that context, we're using shorthand for the Braille code. But in this iteration of the resolution, it's made clear that this only refers to capitalizing Braille when referring to the code. Essentially, the discussion continues about the verb. There's simply no comment on that. That would represent progress, wouldn't it? It would. Um, this, the, uh, my hands are sort of tied because this resolution was adopted by the board of the Braille Bible so that if I was going to propose a friendly amendment such as the one you're referring to, it would have to be approved at least by them. Now, before the convention, we actually will be holding a business meeting for BRL. And what I can promise is that I'll bring up the issue there and see what happens to it. BRL's interesting because it's one of the few affiliates in ACB that's actually growing. We went from about 150 members last year to a little over 260 this year. But the point is we do calls every couple of months under the name Braille Buzz, and we typically break the bank of our poor little Zoom room (laughs) <laughs> by having more than 100 people there. So the the point that I'm making is I expect we'll get a pretty large group of folks at our business meeting, and I'll certainly raise the issue. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Part of my concern, and I, I, you know, I'm a, I, I'd like to think of myself as a consensus builder, but I think once you begin, once you begin to say, well, let's do this part of the time and this the rest of the time, what you end up doing is mudding the waters and people eventually say a plague on both of your houses. We'll do what the hell we want. Well, actually, I think that's where we're at because Braille is capitalized when referring to Louis Braille's name. Banner is suggesting it not be capitalized in any other context. And yet many people continue to do so. And they do so with considerable pride. It's something that's become a badge of honor among some who do it. Do you think in terms of the optics of this, Given that the students have moved this resolution, it seems to me this is coming from a blind pride kind of angle, that they are proud to be carrying on the legacy of Louis Braille, that they want to honour Louis Braille's legacy. You are in BRL being a bit curmudgeonly and sort of almost get off my lawn. It seems a shame to dampen the students' passion for advocacy and for 
remembering their history in this way? Um, I, 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 I would certainly hope that students don't feel that way. You know, I tried to, I, I, you know, one of the, I guess, let me put it this way, where we were on the resolutions committee was a situation where uh, at one point, the students were asked if they'd withdraw their resolution and BRL was asked if it would withdraw its resolution and both of us said, no, we won't do it. And then I, I went away and started thinking seriously about it. And I said, really, this is no kind of progress. The reality is let's move the student's notion forward. The two resolutions, by the way, were developed entirely independently of each other. The first I knew about both resolutions was when I heard from the chair of the resolutions committee. There wasn't any discussion by the Braille Revival League or by the students about crafting a joint resolution, which probably wouldn't have been possible anyway. But the point that I'm making and the reason that I raise it is I think these were independently valid points of view from the perspectives of, of, of the two groups. What do you think of the consequences of ACB becoming the organization that puts a stake in the ground and says, we do not support capitalizing Braille when referring to the code? Is that something ACB should be associated with or should be proud of? I think it is, but obviously it's, be, it, it's, it's partly because I believe in the resolution that we've put forward, but it's also because I've never shied away from taking a position that I think is correct, regardless of what other people's positions are, and neither have you. And so it seems to me that if ACB takes a position like this one, and NFB is is in a different position, and even let's say Banner were in a different position, it it wouldn't bother me as long as I was convinced that that ACB had taken the decision that that was appropriate for it, and had done so in a way that that honored. The, the democracy and the values that I believe in as an organization. What will people be voting on then with the version of the student's resolution that has come out of the resolutions committee? What would it commit the organization to doing if that resolution is passed? Capitalizing Braille. So does that mean that ACB would capitalize Braille in its own publications and what advocate as well for the capitalization of it, Braille when referring to the code? We, we would have no choice. So if it's not passed, then essentially it's status quo, isn't it? Because ACB is, is adhering to and, the banner and, position. And that's part of the reason why we withdrew our resolution. If if it doesn't pass, we're, we really haven't made a decision in either direction because our resolution isn't up there for grabs. And so it couldn't, it, it can never be a victory. So the, the, the very most that the students can lose is that they didn't win this year. But they're certainly perfectly capable of competing again next year on the same issue and they're and and they're they're perfectly capable of coming to the Braille Revival League we would welcome them and encouraging more debate within the organization to see if they can't get a resolution such as the one they want through the Braille Revival League as as the year goes on you know we had at least one member of the Braille Revival League board who took the exact opposite position of the position that the Braille Revival League took and essentially took a, a position that was like the students. So it's not like nobody in the Braille Revival League believes the way that the students do. How do you think it's going to go? What's your gut feeling? Because you know how to read the mood of the ACB? 
I, I think it's very difficult to know because we have, we have one of the stranger approaches this year to the way that business is going to be done. So the resolution will almost certainly come up for consideration on Thursday, the 7th of July to begin with. And when it is brought to the floor, everybody will be told that there is no recommendation. So the students or someone, uh, it doesn't have to be a student, anybody can move that the resolution pass. And if there's a second, then the resolution is debated and, and, and it would be voted on. If the vote is absolutely overwhelming, I think that it, that it might well pass. But if it's close, one of the convention rules that's been adopted this year essentially says if 25 people get up and, and essentially say that they disagree with the position taken by the chair in terms of the way it comes out, if they, if they win, lose, or draw, it then gets taken from the resolution's tray, if you like, and gets moved to the period after the convention is over to a, a virtual debate component where eventually people will end up and everybody who is minded to uh, will have the opportunity to vote for or against that resolution on a ballot on the last day of the convention, which will probably be the 13th, I think. It's a very different process, and we've never played with it this way before. So it's very difficult for me to predict. I think that there's no question that there will be a debate, and I think there's no question that the voting is not going to be overwhelming in one direction or the other. And so I think the likelihood is, though this is Paul Edwards speaking and really nothing more. I think the likelihood is we'll end up in, in this after the end of convention debating calendar. Yeah, you are currently being like the talking head on the cable news doing the prognostication, <laughs> you know. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, sir. I'm so glad to prognosticate. There you go. Show. There you go. And the thing is, <laughs> That I, I think there's a bit of a parable in this discussion. First of all, it yes. reminds me of the discussions that we used to have when I was directing ACB Radio and you were ACB president, and we would go yes. long into the night. I mean, we three would. or four in the morning having these debates. But the second little part yes. of the parable is – it is possible to have diametrically opposing views and still be really good friends. And I count you as an exceptionally good friend and actually have discussions and disagree without being disagreeable. And there could be a lot more yes. of that, in my opinion, in, in the world. And I'm sure we agree oh, on that. I absolutely agree. Really, that's why I've actually welcomed the opportunity to interact with the students and have really worked as hard as I can to make their resolution as passable as I think it is, because I think there were some infelicities in their language that could be fixed, and we tried our best in the resolutions committee to do that. So I think the resolution is actually better for having gone through the resolutions committee process. Now, I got a fair amount of hate mail indicating that I was misusing my position on the resolutions committee because I'm a member and exercising undue influence on the side of the Braille Revival League. And so it'll be up to people to determine that. Luckily for them, I won't be president of the Braille Revival League beyond June. So <laughs> impeachment wouldn't accomplish much. <laughs> <laughs> it's an issue that pushes the button, isn't it? And it's, it's it, interesting. It is. I think it does represent the sort of cultural awakening that I believe blind people are experiencing. And I'm quite excited 
by that, that we're acknowledging that we are a group, we've got a shared history. And in a way, that's what you and I were doing, God knows how yes. many years ago. We said with ACB Radio that there is a commonality about blindness no matter where in the world you are. We share common challenges right. and common opportunities. And it's like the world's and, and waking the up to we what we were saying all those years ago. Right. Right. And the other thing that we said, and 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 God knows we're, we're, we're not there yet, is, is regardless of what other people thought, we weren't going to allow any reason to gag ACB radio or to prevent it from carrying content that it believed was appropriate and relevant. Mm. And I think that's a core value that bunches of organizations today are, are in favor of losing sight of for whatever reasons. I, 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 I'm not sure I even want to go into that, but the bottom line is I think there is a lot more willingness on the part of a lot of people, particularly, unfortunately, people who are blind, in my opinion, to go along rather than to begin to work to develop their own senses of value. And if there are a bunch of people out there who are interested in doing that, we as organizations, and I, I think the Federation is as guilty as, as the Council, aren't making enough room for those folks to actively debate and to influence us. Since we've segued onto that, let me ask you, Mark Riccobono made a comment in, I think, one of his presidential reports that suggested it might be a good idea for ACB and NFB to hold a joint convention. Good idea? I proposed it a long time ago when I was president, if you remember, mm. and there was a good deal of support for it from NFB. Unfortunately, then there were some folks in ACB who began to write really nasty letters about Kenneth Jernigan after he died. And um, the Federation talked with me and asked me to stop people from doing that. And I indicated that I didn't have the power to do that. And they said, well, forget the kind of cooperation that we've begun to foster. Um, and, and I don't blame them a bit because the stuff that was being written was just inappropriate and stupid. I don't know. As you may know, the students have proposed a resolution um, to that yeah, effect. we've been talking about and, that and on this podcast go, too, and and yeah. uh, getting people's it, opinions. It will go forward. Um, mm. I I don't I I I guess I'm not as sanguine about where that will go in the long run. Uh, not so much because I think we're all that far apart. I would, you know, I I believed then, and I believe now that in eighty or eighty five percent of the things that blind people give a damn about, our organizations feel the same. And that many of the differences we operate with are artificially created. They're not positions that are fundamental core values. If there is anything that differentiates our two organizations, it's really the way we're governed rather than anything else. But I think that the other thing that I would say about that is I find myself wondering whether we have finally gotten to the place where many of the members of both organizations don't really understand why we fell apart and are really interested in seeing blind people really around the world speaking with one voice. And, and, and if the American Council of Blind, the National Federation of Blind, could end up speaking with one voice in the part of the United States, I think we could have a tremendous role in encouraging people in other countries to do the same. I know you're a Monty Python fan. Are you familiar with the life I of am. Brian? 
I am. Well, when I heard about the People's Front of Judea and the Judean People's Front, I thought this is just like the blind community <laughs> in the United States. <laughs> it is. It is. It very much is. There are an immense number of absolutely wonderful people in the National Federation of the Blind. And, and in the state that I live in, which is Florida, we have been able to develop a relationship between the Florida Council of the Blind and the National Federation of the Blind of Florida, where we are more interested in coming up with positions that we can jointly share and take to legislators and take to the Division of Blind Services. Uh, and, and I'm very proud of that because I, I believe what it demonstrates is if, if you are prepared to work at it, consensus is possible. And the development of positions that, in fact, affect favorably the whole blind community rather than dividing them by, by artificial nostrums, which tends to be what we preach, it doesn't necessarily have to happen. Well, it's amazing. When you and I first met in uh, 1999 and you came over yep. to our convention here, uh, it is amazing how sometimes you just find somebody in life and you think, God, a, a kindred spirit is just incredible. Yes. And so sometimes we can go yeah. for years, literally, without talking. Yes. And then it's as if we've never stopped. So yes. I am very grateful for you coming on the show today and having such a, a frank and yet fun discussion about this topic, which is quite emotive for some people, including me, I guess. Yep. So I, yep. I really appreciate you uh, you doing that, particularly when you're just getting over the Rona as well. <laughs> well, so thank you very much for having me on. I listen to your podcasts as often as I can. And one of the things that I admire is, is, is you really continue to be true to the same values that you operated with, just as, just as I've tried to be. God knows whether, whether either of us has been fully successful at it. But it seems to me that what brings us together more than anything else is the fact that we both believe that blind people, if given opportunities and capacity and support, have the ability to become truly amazing folks. And our job is to help by what we do to create an environment where that becomes more possible. Yes, and I find some strange, bizarre comfort when I see younger people pushing the envelope in a way that I might find a bit radical or whatever, because it's all part of that continual, all part of the circle of life. And so when the students contacted me about their resolution right. and I said to them, who is president of BRL these days? And they wrote back and they said, <laughs> Paul Edwards. And I said, okay, then <laughs> we'll get him on here. <laughs> I love to hear from you, so if you have any comments you want to contribute to the show, drop me an email written down or with an audio attachment to Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. If you'd rather call in, use the listener line number in the United States, 864-606-6736. Posey.